But my prayer and my spirit, my aim, is that the Holy Spirit burned my heart. Now, I was planning on preaching on choked Christians. That's what I wanted to preach. That's what Todd Gabbard wanted to preach. Uh, trust me, it would have been a good message. I believe that we have many Christians today that are choked. But that's not what the Holy Spirit would have me preach. The Holy Spirit began to burden me last uh, week and the week before about this thought. And this is the thought. How to make it to the end of harvest. We are in a battle. This world is getting more wicked by the day. This world, if you've not figured it out, is being prepared to worship Satan. We are fast approaching in our political systems... And it's being geared up and set up now for one man to walk on the scene as a one world dictator. That's what's happening. Now that is biblical. That is biblical. That's Bible. I'm not giving you no conspiracy theory. I'm giving you Bible. The Antichrist is not going to just march in one day and take over. And we're a free society one day and then all of a sudden dictatorship the next. There will be a progression that leads to it. Now, in the meantime, before Christ catches us away to rapture us out, we're going to need something to help us make it to the end of harvest. Because the rapture is a resurrection in the Bible. It comes in three parts. And we're right now for the main harvest. That's the catching away of the saints. But as I spent some time with preachers this week and other church members, we, we have a pretty large live stream audience. Not as large as some, but through the week, many people that I would have never dreamed that would watch our live stream service. There are people, because in the area they live in, cannot find a good Bible-believing church that claim, they said, do you mind if I tell people that I'm just a member of Tree of Life Baptist? Uh, yeah, and then I thought about it later, and, and I'll tell them now, as long as you send in your tithe here, that's fine. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, don't let the live stream keep you from doing your part for the Lord. And, and, and I'm not begging for money. I'm just saying, don't sit on a couch wanting to be a part of an, a live stream church that you can't attend because you live too far away. And then not, it, it takes a little money to pay the bills, just a little. And God knows that. But even our live stream audience, they're, they're going through things, experiencing things we all are that we've never experienced before. And we're going to need a little help from the Lord if we're going to make it to the end of harvest. Now let's begin reading here in verse 1 of chapter 2. and He, he says in Naomi, now this is a love story with a good ending. Had a kinsman of her husband, a mighty man of wealth and of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, and whose sight I shall find grace. Now I actually titled this message, Wherein Shall I Find Grace? We're going to need grace to make it to the end of harvest, folks. We need God's grace. And there's more than just saving grace, people. There's living grace. There is uh, amazing grace. There's dying grace. There's fighting grace. There's continuing grace. 
And we need to know how to tap into those resources that God has for us. And that's where I got the title, Wherein Shall I Find Grace? And you can ask yourself, Preacher, wherein shall I find grace? You know you're saved. But sometimes you just need something a little extra to get you through. And he says, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now, in her mind, just by chance, that's what the word hap means, she lit into the field of Boaz, but there's no accidents with God. If you're here this morning, you're not here by accident. God is working behind the scenes. Now the devil is too, but God's more powerful than the devil. And he says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. And then Boaz uh, uh, then said Boaz unto the servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels, and drink of that which the young men have drawn. I will make reference to that in my first point. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor... In thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thy handmaid. Though I be not like unto the one of thine handmaidens. Now here's where I get the second and third point. So we'll be in verse 14. And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her, parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean among the sheaves, and reproach her not, and let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose, there's your grace, for her, and leave them that she may glean them, and rebuke her not. Now, come down to verse 23. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest. There's where that thought comes, how to make it to the end of harvest. Starts out with, wherein shall I find grace? She finds that favor and it sustains her to the end of the harvest. Now let us pray 
and let's see what God has for us. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you. Lord, I'm asking you to give us something from the book. Lord, as the preacher friends and I spoke this week, we can't build the church. Only you can build. And Lord, it is so important and imperative today that we be Bible preachers because we're going to need you. Lord, we need something from you today to help us unto the end of harvest. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Here we have a love story with a happy ending. Many Christians are falling out of the race. They're no longer able to work in the master's field. You can see I was still wrestling in that statement with wanting to preach on choked Christians. This is due to exhaustion. Some, preach, some Christians just get burnt out. Sometimes it's due to sin. They get knocked out of the race. Sometimes it's due to laziness. Sometimes due to depression. Depression's a real thing. Don't you, uh, if you don't suffer from or deal with anxieties and depression, don't you ever think that it's not real. It's very real. It's a very real thing. And if you and if I are to make it until Christ comes back, we'll need God's grace to get us through. I preached some months back on life is hard. We need to choose our hard. And Ruth here is a type of the Gentile believer. This is why it's such a, an amazing picture of us today living because we're Gentiles. Ruth was a Moabitess. She was part of a family of people that got started from an incestuous affair between Lot and his daughter. Lot who is a Christian, the Bible said he was a safe man, but he began to pitch his tent towards Sodom. He was more friendly with the world than he was with the house of God. Abraham stayed at Bethel. But out of that, when that all come to the end, and Lot was left with nothing, living alone in a cave, this is what happened. And so down through time, there was a people that come out of this, and so God... I judged these people to the point that they were not allowed into the house of God until the ninth generation. Now that's pretty, pretty hard. And that's why it's such a beautiful picture of grace because here God begins to work in this young lady's life. And because of the testimony of her mother-in-law, Naomi... Remember in chapter 1, they had went down into Moab to sojourn because of a famine in the land. And let me tell you something. Uh, there's famines that come into the land. There's famines spiritually that can come into the house of God. And a lot of people sojourn for a little while thinking they'll come back. And let me tell you, with Elimelech and, and his family there, Malon and Chilon, they did not make it back to the house of the Lord. They died in the land of Moab. And then Naomi comes back because she heard that was God had visited his people and there was bread back in Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem being a type and it means house of God. They come back and she said, Call me Mara, for I am bitter, for the Lord Jehovah has dealt bitterly with me. And we see Naomi before she gets to Bethlehem, Judah. She turns to Orpah, which is an, a, a woman that was married to her other son, 
and to Ruth. And she says, you need to go back to your people and to your families. And Orpah went ahead and turned back. Because Naomi said, I can't have no more children. Even if I did have a child tonight and you waited till they were of marrying age, you would be past the age of childbearing. But Ruth, and chapter 2, or chapter 1, we begin to see the dedication in Ruth, if you turn back and look, and she said there in verse, I want to say 16, And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die. You see the dedication of Ruth. But it's going to take more than dedication to get you to the end of harvest. But I do want to point that out, that Ruth was dedicated not to leave Naomi. And Ruth, who was a Moabitess, who served false gods, but because of the testimony of her mother-in-law, she married into a Christian family, she had a change of heart, repentance, and says, no, I want to serve God Jehovah. And I'm believing it so strongly that where you go, I'm going. Where you die, I'm dying. That is dedication. But it's going to take more than dedication. And then in chapter 2, I want to point a phrase out to you. We not only see the dedication of Ruth, who is a type of us, Gentile, church, Boaz being a type of Christ. Verse 2, she says, And Ruth the Moabite is said unto Naomi, Let me now go. You see that phrase? She's been, went beyond dedication, and she is now deliberate. Let me now go. Her dedication led to deliberate action. And I, I believe that that is a very key point in your Christian life and my Christian life. If we're going to make it to the end of harvest, you, it's <laughs> so many times we sit and we become inactive and we say, well, if it's God's will, God, just shower me with it. Give it to me. And we're dedicated. I, I do not believe there's not one individual in here this morning that is not dedicated to Tree of Life Baptist Church. Uh, most of you have made that decision. If we die here, we die here. We're going to die together. We're staying to the bitter end. Most of you tithe more than your 10%. That's dedication. God will reward you richly for that. So you're dedicated, but I want to help us a little bit more today as we're going to have to learn how to be deliberate. Because you and I, in these days and years to come, we're going to need some of God's grace to make it to the end of harvest. And I don't want anybody that's sitting in here this morning or anybody that's listening to my voice somewhere between now and the rapture that you fall out. Even though you were dedicated, 
but you didn't let that lead you to be deliberate. And I want to share that with you this morning to help you, to help me, to help those that are listening this morning. Preacher, I'm going to need a little bit of this grace that Ruth found that was able to sustain her to the end of harvest. And I want to draw your attention to verse 8 and 9 in chapter 2. And we see something that Boaz, who is a type of Christ, tells Ruth that she's going to need to do. And I pointed it out. And he says, now, let's, let's get verse 8 because one of the subpoints are in verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. That's important. We're going to talk about it. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men? This is going to be important. And the Bible talks about this. That they shall not touch thee, and when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. If you're going to make it to the end of harvest, if you're, going to, uh, if you're looking for this sustaining grace and the su sufficient grace, as the Apostle Paul wrote about it, even in the middle of his infirmities, he needed God's sufficient grace. And God told him, my grace is sufficient for these. But how did he find that? Where was it? Did it just come down? Or do we have to be deliberate? Well, we're going to have to be deliberate. You're going to have to train yourself if you're going to make it to the end of harvest to be a sipping Christian. Did you see that? He says, when you get thirsty. Now, my old Uncle Jack, and they might be watching this morning. Years ago, we worked together. Very fond memories. As I begin to meditate on this message, as I mowed the grass this week, I just begin to smile to myself because there's been many a days, Uncle Jack and I, he was a stonemason. Uh, I'll just put it to you like this. Maybe I'm a little biased, but the best in the world that I've ever been around. He's good. He's gifted. And we were working together. We'd be out in the hot sun. And he'd say, he'd stop because I was 16 at the time. He said, Toddy, he says, we need to take five to stay alive. And you know what? I bet you he never dreamed I'd have that in a message all these years later. But the Holy Spirit brought that back to my remembrance and says, Brother Todd, Todd, if you're going to stay alive in the ministry, if you're going to stay alive and make it to the end of harvest, you're going to have to learn how to take five and stay alive. You're going to learn how to be a sipping Christian. Working construction most of my life, as I shared with most of you, you got to work from Monday to Friday. And it, when the weather gets like it was Friday, 95 degrees in the sun, and you're working on a south-facing wall, you've got to learn how to pace yourself. You cannot go to slugging cement like you're killing snakes. You won't make it. And I've worked around enough men, some men, they think uh, it comes time to take a drink of water. Oh, no, I, I don't drink during the day while I'm working. I never drink any water. Don't drink water. And I know something about that guy. Number one, he's a fool. Number two, he ain't going to be there Friday to pick up his paycheck. Matter of fact, he ain't going to make it much past Tuesday. And I'm telling you, I was always right. 
Because when you get to working out in 95 degree weather on a, on, a, on a gray wall and you're in a corner of a house and you can't get away and there's no breeze in there, you're going to have to take five to stay alive or they're going to find you like they found my father once over in the corner with a heat stroke. Now, I wasn't trying to indicate my dad didn't drink water. He did. <laughs> I'm telling you, it gets hot. And the harvest, this ministry that God has placed us in, it's going to get hot. It's going to get hard. And you're going to have to learn how to take five to stay alive. You're going to have to learn how to be a sipping Christian. And he says you're going to have to learn how to drink the water that the young men have drawn. And our jobs, our company, we had, we had hired men. And because people just won't bring their own water, we'd get one of those five-gallon jugs of water and we put a bag of ice in it fill it up with water why with some cups because you have when you're running men and men are working with you in construction you're going to have to allow them to take the breaks they need to make it to the end of day you'll literally kill them not this generation i'm talking about my generation my dad's generation <laughs> my dad's generation and my generation well it we begin to lose it in my generation I'm probably rare breed. But in my dad's generation, you could literally work those people right into the ground. And they'd die right in the field. They would. You just, you just work them. But they learned. I remember old grandpa telling me, now look, we're cleaning barns about this time of the year. He said, now look, we got to work all day on this. There's no sense getting too excited. Let's not, have you ever seen those people, they grab up a sledgehammer and all of a sudden they start swinging that thing like crazy or splitting wood and they begin to swing it like crazy and oh, bang, 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 and in about five minutes they're done. Seen those kind? Well, they're on construction sites too. You know, we're, we're packing 100-pound bags of cement from the truck into the garage to get it on the job and so they're going to pack two of them at once. Well, I could pack two at once, too. But if you want to do it from Monday to Friday, you can't. Break yourself down. But they're foolish, and they can't make it to the end. And you're going to have to learn how to drink the water that the young men have drawn. I, I've referred to this as, as the preachers. We have preachers fellowship and preachers, pastors. I get dry from time to time. I'm in the heat of the battle. And you've got to come up with a complete different message every week with a new thought and not step on what you preached on the week before. That's not easy. And sometimes you get dry because you lose inspiration. And that's what preachers fellowships are for. Because I've got to go with my companions and drink some some of the water that the young men have drawn but then he said abide fast by my maidens that's that companionship isolation is the worst thing you can do when if you are a person that deals with depression isolation is the worst thing you could ever do your mind will tell you that when you begin to get depressed or experience depression, that you need to isolate, isolate, isolate. And you find it, it's a pattern, it's in every person I've ever dealt with that deals with depression, is they want to isolate. You'll see them, they'll sit over on their, their, uh, their by themselves, or they'll be in a room, generally a dark room. They want to sit there, they don't want to talk, they clam up. And you say, what's wrong? They're experiencing depression, it's very real. 
But they want to isolate because that's what their mind is telling them they need to do. And that is the worst thing you can do. You will find with the people that use cognitive therapy, and I'm not meaning to get off on all this, that means common sense therapy. That when you begin to experience depression, when you get around other people, now don't get around other depressed people. You need to be around somebody that is pretty even-keeled, that's a happy-go-lucky, and just being around them, interacting with them, and conversing with them, you will find, I promise you, it's called talk therapy, will lift your spirits. It's a very old thing, and it's very helpful, but it's right here in the Scripture. He told Ruth, you abide fast by my maidens. That's what assembling physically in church does for us is we need to abide fast by our companions because isolation is the worst thing we can do. We were made for fellowship and we were made to work together. Just like we were doing Friday night. We were working together and we all went home feeling a little better. Maybe tired, wore out, but we were happy because we'd spent time together with our companions. Maybe you're having a bad week, but I'm having a good week. If you come and share your burdens with me, I can help you with them if I'm having a good week. And you can sip some of the water that the young men have drawn. You can spend some time with your companions because you're going to have to teach yourself and train yourself how to be a sipping Christian if you're going to make it to the end of harvest. You're going to have to learn how to take five to stay alive. Then he said, abide by the young men. He said, I've commanded them, they touch thee not. That's protection. There's protection in numbers. Yeah, you get in a group of people. If you're walking on the bad side of town, uh, I don't want to do that by myself. But if I've got two of my brothers with me, Jeremiah and Titus, I'm a lot more at ease. You say, why? Because there's safety in numbers. And then if I got a couple more men, when we went to these martial arts seminars, that we'd have our whole dojo with us, and you got about 10, 15 men, and they're all martial artists. Uh, I, I didn't worry much about walking in a bad part of town at night, getting from the dojo or from the training center back to the hotel. Why? Because there's not many one or two people that want to jump on a group of 15 men. Uh-uh. That's what he's saying here. If you want to make it to the end of harvest, you're going to have to train yourself to take five minutes, <laughs> take five to stay alive. That's what God has put this thing together. Church is really not about just getting your money. Church is not about me counting you as a number. Church is about us working together, having companionship together, and drawing and being able to drink water and take five minutes out of our busy schedule. Take a little time. Take five to stay alive. You've got to train yourself to be a sipping Christian. But then I see in verse 14, and I pointed it out. <laughs> you do, this message was tailor-made for me because it's all about food and water. Some of my favorite subjects. It says, And Boaz, he said unto her at mealtime, All folks, you're going to have to learn how to eat to beat the heat. You're going <laughs> to, yeah, you do. 
you're going to have to learn how to be a supping Christian. You get working out in the hot sun, and let me tell you something. It's, when you work construct, you work outside, and you start from Monday, by the time Thursday gets around, it's 95 degrees in the shade, you are fatigued. And you will never feel as inclined to believe in proper nutrition as you will in those days because you can't lay around Monday night eating cupcakes and Twinkies and pasta and potato chips. You see these guys that work construction and they just drink a Mountain Dew all day? They don't eat anything. They just sip on a Mountain Dew all day long. You'll see them Monday. you see them Tuesday. A lot of times you don't see them Wednesday or Thursday. And they show up Friday just long enough to pick up a check. See, what happened to them? They had not trained themselves to be able to be a supping Christian. He says, Boaz told Ruth, if you're going to make it to the end of harvest at mealtime, come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers and he reached her. You see that? Now, if a sipping Christian is a type of being able to assemble in a church setting, and you need it. Live stream preaching, I get, I get it. It's, it's, it's got its purpose. But it is not the same as being there in person. You know it and I know it. And it's a, it's a proven fact because if it wasn't, they would not be selling football tickets to these stadiums anymore. Everybody just watch it on the widescreen. I've been to enough baseball games in my lifetime to know it is completely different at the field than it is watching it on TV. I used to go to the Reds games when they gave free tickets out. Now, don't give me tickets because I'm not going. I'm past that stage. But at one point, I liked going to the Reds game there in Cincinnati. And I've had the experience. It's different. But if the sipping Christian is the type of a Christian that needs to be in the house of God and around their other companions and under a pastor that can draw them some water, your schedule's so busy that you might not have the time to study. Study in the Word of God. I study it Monday through Friday. And Wednesday night I come in here and I've got some water for you. And if you're having a bad week, you're going to have to train yourself to take some time out of that busy schedule and come in and get a little sip of God's water to get you to Friday. But this supping Christian here, now that's a little different. Now you're going to have to be deliberate. And that's why I'm keying in on the word deliberate. You're going to have to make a conscious effort to do it. It's not going to happen if you're just sitting on the couch doing nothing. You need a special kind of grace to get us through what's getting ready to happen in the years to come before God takes us out of here. You're going to begin to see many falling away. You're going to have to have that personal one-on-one -on -one daily devotions. You're going to have to learn how to eat to beat the heat. Nutrition, I learned real quickly because I had an older carpenter tell me, he, he come right up to me on, on the first day, so let me tell you something, it's hot out here. He says, you can, you can skip on breakfast, because everybody says, eat a good breakfast and you can make it all day. He said, you can skip on breakfast. He says, lunch, you can do what you want, but he says, supper, you better eat right. 
He said, if you want to be strong tomorrow, you need to eat your little protein and you need to eat a balanced diet for supper. He said, I advise you to eat a steak and some vegetables with just a hint, a little bit of pasta. He says, that will get in your system and begin to release. He said, what you eat for breakfast is not going to energize you for that day. What's energizing you that day is what you ate yesterday. And if Monday you spend that day eating Twinkies, Ho-Hos, and barbecue chips, by the time Tuesday rolls around, you're working at 95 degrees, you're going to start having some problems. And you'll never make it to Friday. But in your life, your Christian life, you're going to have to learn how to train yourself to be a supping Christian. That's that daily. He says, you're going to sit by me, and I'm going to, he said, Boaz said, and he reached her, parched corn. That's that one-on-one relationship where it's just you and God in the morning with a devotion. We got daily devotionals back there. I'm not talking about reading three and four chapters of the Bible a day. Just because I do that, uh, it's good to do. But you and your schedules are so busy, you might only need a couple verses, but a thought that goes with that that you can meditate and feed on that all day and let God reach you some parched corn because you're going to need it. That's a specific time, he said, at mealtime. It's a specific place. It's across from the Lord. She sat right across from Boaz. That means there should be nothing in between you and God. There should be no sin in your life. If there is, confess it. Because it's going to stand in the way between you and God and Him being able to reach you some parched corn. But you're going to have to be a supping Christian. You're going to have to eat to beat the heat. But then thirdly, right here in verse 14, my favorite part of this whole thing, and this is when this began to fall together for me. And he says, And Boaz said unto her at mealtime, Come thou hither and eat of the bread. I'm already thinking happy thoughts, but it gets better. And dip thy morsel, talking about the bread, in vinegar. Oh, now I don't know about you. You might not like to eat like I like to eat. But to me, there is nothing better than a nice porterhouse T-bone steak. I take it. I'm going to do it on the grill. I'm going to, uh, if I'm not marinated, I'm going to uh, put Jenny blend on it. Jenny's got a particular blend of, of, of garlic and pepper and, and all kinds of stuff. And I put that on both sides and I get the grill hot and I put it on. Don't touch it. Once you put it on the grill, it's on there for five minutes on high. Turn your timer on five minutes. If it's five eighths of an inch thick or thinner, five minutes. If it's three quarters of an inch, I kind of like them three quarters of an inch, then you're going to need about six to six and a half minutes per side. Flip it once. Don't touch it again. Don't play with it. And set the timer. Cook it six minutes. If it's more than five eighths of an inch thick, take it off, set it on a plate, and let it simmer there. It'll finish cooking. It'll be perfectly medium. But then all of a sudden there will be those nice juices will begin to come out of that steak and they get in it. I want that plate. Don't put the steaks on the steak plate. And then I, I want those juices that's coming out of that steak on my plate because I want to mix them with that cucumber salad and the vinegar that goes in that with the sugar. 
And then we got some green beans. And there's bacon grease in the green beans with butter and salt and a little garlic. And I want them in there. I don't want you to put it in a spoon that's got holes in the bottom. I want the juice with the green beans. <laughs> and then I want a little coleslaw too. And there's that vinegar and that sugar and that mayonnaise in there. And it mixes with that steak juice. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? You know where I'm heading with this, don't you? And then, depending on what kind of person you are, if you like bread, I like homemade bread. And I'm going to tell you why I like homemade bread. Homemade wheat bread, because it's more absorbent. If there would be, ever be a time when I would like angel food cake, it would be at that time because it's very spongy and absorbent. That lets you ladies know what kind of biscuits I like. I don't like them to crumble. I want them to have a little something in them, kind of like what you get from KFC. And you can dip them and move them around in that juice on that place so you can sop that juice all up because you know it helps your digestion. It tops off the meal. And if you're going to make it to the end of harvest, you're going to have to learn how to slow down and let the juices of God's Word and the water of God's Word get down in your plate. And you're going to have to take the bread of God's Word and learn how to sop it up and get it because you're going to need it before supper comes around again. If you're going to make it to the end of harvest. And I love taking them biscuits. If I don't have biscuits, bread. If I don't have wheat bread, white bread. Wonder Bread does fine too. Put a little butter in that. You begin to work that around in that plate. And you begin to sop that up. And I make sure that when my plate leaves my station, she don't have to get it off into the... She don't have to wipe it off before she puts it into the dishwasher. It's clean. And if you're going to make it to the end of this thing, you're going to have to learn how to be a sipping Christian. Take five to stay alive. You're going to have to learn how to be a supping Christian. You're going to have to learn how to eat to beat the heat. But better than that, you're going to have to learn how to take the bread of God's Word and be able to sop up those good juices down there in the plate in your cup. And learn how to dip your morsel in the vinegar of life and the sweetness and that vinegar and that sugar and that's good. It's going to help you deal with the bitter in life. And you're going to have to be deliberate in that. You're going to have to teach yourself. It don't just happen if you just sit on the couch. You've got to be deliberate. And you're going to have to learn how to take the time out of your schedule to do that if you are going to make it to the end of this harvest. Let us all stand this morning.